Good morning and welcome to Walking with Jesus Through the Word, one chapter per day. I am Pastor Jason Van Bemmel from Forest Hill Presbyterian Church. It is day 730, which is our last day of year two. So this is bringing us to the end of year two. 365 more days to go after this one, which will bring us to 1095 total for the three-year series. So we've reached our two-thirds mark with today's devotional. Just a little note, I did switch yesterday and today's devotionals. They're backwards from according to what's written on the plan. Sorry, it's just a mistake, but it's kind of too complicated to go back and fix it now. So, so they're just reversed. I don't think it's going to make that much of a difference, but just so you know, um, it is if it's confusing to you, I apologize. But let's pray and ask the Lord's help as we get into Isaiah 41. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. It's been a blessing to us for these two years we've been in your word together. As we close out our second year in your word, we pray that you would write this word on our hearts, that you would teach us from Isaiah 41 what you would have us to know as this year comes to a close and as we look ahead to next year. Lead us, Father, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Isaiah 41. Listen to me in silence, O coastlands. Let the peoples renew their strength. Let them approach, then let them speak. Let us draw to draw, let, yeah, easy for me to say. Let us together draw near for judgment. Who stirred up one from the east, whom victory meets at every step? He gives up nations before him, so that he tramples kings underfoot. He makes them like dust with his sword, like driven stubble with his bow. He pursues them and passes on safely by paths his feet have not trod. Who has performed and done this, calling the generations from the beginning? I, the Lord, the first, and with the last, I am he." The coastlands have seen and are afraid. The ends of the earth tremble. They have drawn near and come. Everyone helps his neighbor and says to his brother, Be strong! The craftsman strengthens the goldsmith, and he who smooths with the hammer, him who strikes the anvil, saying of the soldering, It is good! And they strengthen it with nails so that it cannot be moved. But you, Israel my servant, Jacob whom I have chosen, the offspring of Abraham, my friend, you whom I took from the ends of the earth and called from its farthest corners, saying to you, you are my servant. I have chosen you and not cast you off. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Behold, all who are incensed against you shall be put to shame and confounded. Those who strive against you shall be as nothing and shall perish. You shall seek those who contend with you, but you shall not find them. Those who war against you shall be as nothing at all. For I, the Lord, hold your right hand. It is I who say to you, Fear not, I am the one who helps you. Fear not. You worm, Jacob, you men of Israel, 
I am the one who helps you, declares the Lord. Your Redeemer is the Holy One of Israel. Behold, I make of you a threshing sledge, new, sharp, and having teeth. You shall thresh the mountains and crush them, and you shall make the hills like chaff. You shall winnow them, and the wind shall carry them away, and the tempest shall scatter them, and you shall rejoice in the Lord. In the Holy One of Israel you shall glory. When the poor and needy seek water, and there is none, and their tongue is parched with thirst, I, the Lord, will answer them. I, the God of Israel, will not forsake them. I will open rivers on the bare heights and fountains in the midst of the valleys. I will make the wilderness a pool of water and the dry land springs of water. I will put in the wilderness the cedar, the acacia, the myrtle, and the olive. I will set in the desert the cypress, the plain, and the pine together, that they may see and know, may consider and understand together that the hand of the Lord has done this. The Holy One of Israel has created it. Set forth your case, says the Lord. Bring your proofs, says the king of Jacob. Let them bring them and tell us what is to happen. Tell us the former things, what they are, that we may consider them, that we may know their outcome or declare to us the things to come. Tell us what is to come hereafter, that we may know that you are gods. Do good or do harm, that we may be dismayed and terrified. Behold, you are nothing and your work is less than nothing. An abomination is he who chooses you. I stirred up one from the north, and he has come. From the rising of the sun, and he shall call upon my name. He shall trample on rulers as on mortar, as the potter treads clay. Who declared it from the beginning, that we might know? And beforehand, that we might say, he is right. There was none who declared it, none who proclaimed, none who heard your words. I was the first to say to Zion, Behold, here they are, and I give to Jerusalem a herald of good news. But when I look, there is none. Among these there is no counselor, who, when I ask, gives an answer. Behold, they are all a delusion. Their works are nothing. Their metal images are empty wind. What a wonderful and encouraging chapter from God's Word. It's so powerful. This second part of Isaiah that really starts in chapter 40. I mean, all of God's Word is great and wonderful, and all of Isaiah is great and wonderful. But uh, I've been kind of eager to get to this second part of Isaiah here in our daily devotionals. And I can't wait till I get to it in our preaching because it is it's just such a rich uh, gospel-rich and encouraging section of scripture. All right, so God is speaking, and God is basically declaring two big things in this in this chapter. First is that the one who's going to come and conquer. This is future talking about Nebuchadnezzar, who's going to come with Babylon, and is going to conquer is actually going to conquer Judah and Jerusalem. This one who's been stirred up from the east, this one who's going to trample down all the people, God is the one who has actually raised him up and sent him. 
Because every conqueror, it doesn't need to be narrowed down to just Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon. Cyrus the Great of Persia, who's going to restore the uh, Jewish people to their homeland. And he's going to restore God's people to the promised land. He's going to be prophesied by name later. And he is also sent by the Lord. There is one God. There's one true sovereign one. He is the Lord of everything, and he is sovereign over all things, and he is with his people for their good, whether he is sending a conqueror who drags them away into exile, or he is sending someone like Cyrus to overthrow that conqueror uh, and his kingdom and to restore his people from exile in all of it, being sent off to exile, being restored from exile, God is working for the good of his people and he's providing for his people. And then the other big message in this chapter is that idols, the things that men trust in that are man-made, are worthless. Nothing, less than nothing. It's ridiculous to trust in idols. So we have this contrast between the one true God who is the sovereign Lord over all history and who is with his people and who is for his people and the idols that are useless. And so the, the setup here, listen to me in silence, O coastlands. This reference to the coastlands is basically the far reaches of the earth. It's the Hebrew Bible way of saying the farthest ends of the earth. Let the peoples renew their strength. Let them approach. Let them speak. Let us draw together near for judgment. Let us together draw near for judgment. Why do I always get that backwards? Anyway, um, but here God is summoning all the peoples of the earth. He's challenging the unbelieving nations and the unbelieving peoples to bring forth their gods and to see how they might compete with the one true God, Yahweh. So this is two things. One is, of course, a judgment upon the gods of the nations as being useless, which is highlighted later. But it's also an invitation for them to come and believe in the one true God. You see, God is both the one who judges and condemns, but also the one who invites to come and believe in him and have faith. And so how does he prove this? Well, he proves this by talking about stirring up one from the east whom victory meets at every step. He gives up nations before him so that he tramples kings underfoot. He makes them like dust with his sword, like driven stubble with his bow. Now this Many Bible scholars will say that this is about Cyrus the Great, the leader of the Persian Empire, and how he's going to conquer Babylon and then free God's people. And Cyrus is named by name just a few chapters later. But I actually, I read this as being first about Nebuchadnezzar, because I do believe that Isaiah wrote this in about 700 BC, after the failed Assyrian conquest and right around the latter years of Hezekiah, right around his death, that that Isaiah wrote this. And I think that I it doesn't say in the passage, so you can't say with definitive, like this is 100% this way or that way, but I read this as being about Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and maybe also about Cyrus. It's the fact that God is sovereign over human history. He is stirring people up. Now he's going to prove just how absolutely sovereign he is when he names 
Cyrus in chapters 44 and 45. And so if you see this as connected to that, then this is also about Cyrus. But I, I look at it as God is sovereign when he sends his people away into exile and God is sovereign when he brings his people back from exile. God is sovereign in judgment and discipline, which is also for our good. You see, when God judges us or disciplines us, we should say, because all judgment was poured out on Christ on the cross, there's no more judgment for us, but there is fatherly discipline. And when the Lord disciplines us, it's unpleasant, right? No discipline is pleasant for the time. And we might think, well, that's when God's doing bad to us. And other times God does good to us. No, no, no. God is always doing good to us, right? Even when he disciplines us, it's always for our good. Uh, Hebrews describes that in detail. But anyway, the one who does all this, whether it's Nebuchadnezzar or it's Cyrus, or even earlier when it was Sennacherib, king of Assyria, which earlier chapters in Isaiah talk about, whoever the ruler is, God is the one who did it. I am the Lord, the first, and with the last, I am he. What does that mean? The Alpha and the Omega. This is this is Isaiah speak for the Alpha and the Omega that we find in Revelation. The beginning and the end. He's the first. The Lord is the cause of everything. He is the creator of everything. He is the origin of everything. He's the first. And with the last, I am he. Which means there will be those who live forever. There will be those who live into eternity forever and ever. So the Lord is not going to be the last because that would mean everything else has come to an end. But you and I, those who are in Christ, those who are with the Lord, we're going to be with the Lord forever. And so with the last, with that, that's, that's us. That's us. Resurrected in Christ, alive forevermore. With the last, I am he. What a great statement. The coastlands, the farthest ends of the earth, they tremble. They're afraid because the Lord is sovereign. The Lord is sovereign. But they try to respond with idolatry. These far reaches of the earth, these unbelieving nations, they try to respond with idolatry. Let's be strong. Let's make a good idol. That's what's happening here in verses 6 and 7. Let's make a good idol. Let's let's strengthen it with nails so that it cannot be moved. What kind of a God needs to be strengthened with nails? See, there's, there's irony. There's mockery here. What kind of God needs to be strengthened with nails? Right? But you, Israel, my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen, the offspring of Abraham, my friend, you whom I took from the ends of the earth and called from the farthest corner, saying to you, you are my servant. I have chosen you and not cast you off. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. What a contrast. The world creates its own gods and it has to strengthen its own gods with nails. Man made, man strengthened. God chooses a people for himself, calls us to himself, and he strengthens us, and he helps us. You see, that's such the difference between man-made religion and the gospel. Man-made religion is all about what we do for our gods, how we serve our gods, how we give to our gods, how we help out our gods. No, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the one true God, he has everything. He doesn't need anything from us. We can't possibly help him out, right? <clears throat> Even when he calls us into service, he's calling us into what is good for us, 
not what really helps him. And so he strengthens us. He helps us. He upholds us. It's all about who God is and what he's done for us and how he saves us. That's the gospel. And so all these people who are incensed against us, they're going to be put to shame and confounded. This is this is a little bit of the language where I think this is could be, I'll just say could be talking about Nebuchadnezzar and being dragged off into exile because, because the Edomites mocked them as they were taken off and we know that it was a, a dark day. And so all those who are incensed against you shall be put to shame and confounded. Those who strive against you, the Babylonians, the others, they shall be as nothing and they shall perish. They're going to be wiped out. It's God who holds us. It's God who says to us, fear not, for I am the one who helps you. So what, what about us? How does this apply to us today? Well, what are you afraid of? What does the world value as being powerful? Is it some social political movement? Is it some ideology? Is it some pressure from the world to conform to its ways? Is that what the world upholds as being mighty and powerful and by that tries to make us afraid? Oh, if you don't conform, you're going to lose your job. Oh, if you don't conform, you're going to be socially ostracized. Oh, if you don't give in to whatever it is. I mean, the, the world has actually a plethora of idols, just as back in the day. Nothing has really changed. You see, the outward forms have changed. They not, may not make little statues anymore by hand, but the world still has a plethora of idols across the political spectrum. And they still call us to pick one and bow down or pick a multiples and bow down. And if we say, no, this stuff is worthless. We have the Lord on our side. The world's going to mock. The world's going to make fun of us. But it doesn't matter. We don't need to be afraid. Even, even if we are weak, because we are weak. We're the worm Jacob. We're, we're weak. Right? We're weak. But God is helps us. Our Redeemer is the Holy One of Israel. And so we, Jesus has promised us that in the future, we will judge the nations and even the fallen angels as co-heirs with Christ, as sons of God, as heirs of God. We will sit and we will judge and we shall rejoice in the Lord in the Holy One of Israel, we shall glory. And in the meantime, in the meantime, while we're waiting for that day of glory, when the poor and needy seek water and there is none and their tongue is parched with thirst, I, the Lord, will answer them. I, the God of Israel, will not forsake them. I will open rivers on bare heights, the fountains in the midst of the valleys. God is saying to us, whatever you need, whenever you are in need, if you look to me, I will meet your need. No matter what distress you're going through, I will. I can even make the wilderness a pool of water. I can even make dry lands a spring of water. I can even put a cypress tree in the middle of a desert. In other words, I can cause things that are unexpected to come for good for you. So that you can understand, consider, and know that the hand of the Lord has done this. 
that the Holy One of Israel has created it. Because God cares about us, God is going to take care of us. And so, God now turns to mocking idols again. And basically telling them, go ahead and uh, tell us what's going to come in the future. Tell us anything, good or bad, that we might, you know, be dismayed and terrified. But you're nothing. You're less than nothing. Now he's going to be talking about, I stirred up one from the north and he has come. Right? I, I think that, I still think that is Nebuchadnezzar. But then later Cyrus is named as one who comes from the east of there. And so he comes. God has done it. You know, God warned before the Assyrians came. God warned before the Babylonians came. God warned before the Persians came. In the dream that God gave to, Dan, to Nebuchadnezzar that Daniel interpreted that we saw a few days ago in Daniel 2, God, God foretold hundreds of years of human history. And then exactly when the one would come into the world who would be a stone not cut out by any human hand who would grow into a mountain to fill the whole earth, God's laid it all out. And that's why Bible critics will come along and say things like, well, the second part of Isaiah couldn't have been written by Isaiah because it predicts the future, and we know nobody can predict the future. Well, the Lord can, and the Lord does. It's right here. Oh, but that must have been written later. And they do the same thing to the book of Daniel, as we'll see as we get into later chapters of the book of Daniel. Critics will say, oh, that was written hundreds of years later. No, Daniel. Daniel's just a mythical figure. He never even existed. They, they want to dismiss the claims of the Bible, because if they took the claims of the Bible seriously, they would have to admit that the God of the Bible is real. And they don't want to do that. They want to hold to their idols. Even though their idols can't predict the future, their idols aren't in control. But God brings good news to his people. God brings deliverance from captivity not only Egyptian captivity and Babylonian captivity, God brings deliverance from sin and death captivity to his people. And the idols can't do anything. The idols of the world can't do anything. You know, the older I get, and the more I really pay attention, the more I realize they're just blowing smoke. It's just a lot of hot air. It's just a lot of bluster. And yeah, I mean, they have certain things they can do, like blacklist you and mock you and maybe even fire you or whatever. But but God is more than able to take care of his people. If we trust him, if we refuse to bow to the idols, if we say to the Lord, you are my God, not anybody in this world, but you, and I'll be faithful to you and I'll do what you call me to do. Just as he was with Daniel and, and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in Babylon, just as he was with Joseph in Egypt, just as he was with Paul and Peter under the Roman rule, even up to the point of when they were executed, he was still with them and carried them into glory. So we need to not fear. We need to be joyfully confident as we look forward to a new year. And yes, it's going to be a presidential election year. If you're watching this when it's originally released, the year coming up is you know, one of those scary years where our culture will surely be torn apart by its competing idols. Let's let's hold with joyful confidence to the Lord. And let's then tell them about the king who's not up for election or re-election or whatever. 
the king who reigns supreme over all. And let's give him all of our trust and all of our hope in him. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this year that you've given us. Thank you for blessing us in so many ways. Thank you for leading us into a new year together. We pray that we would follow you with joyful confidence in the new year ahead. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, thanks for joining me for Isaiah 41. I do hope you have a blessed day in the Lord.